0: Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, we're not going to be having Children's Church today, but if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. As you saw in the video, we're going to be starting a series today called uh, What is God's Will for Me? And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at different parts of our lives and how God would have us to use those lives, how God would have us to interact with those parts of our lives to honor him. I don't know if that's a question you've ever asked yourself. What is God's will for me? What is God's will for me? What, for this part of my life, for this thing that I'm involved with, what is God's will for for me or for these things. And so part of what we're doing is to seek to answer those questions. And I'll tell you now that if you take, uh, we'll, we'll use the prayer card. If you, want, if you have any questions you specifically know, you've wondered, what is God's will for this thing? If you use the prayer card, you find the bulletin, and you wanna turn that in, I will consider looking at how that can be incorporated into this series. Um, but we've got several things we're gonna look through. But the place we need to start is what is God's will for you? The general, all-encompassing will For you? What does he want for your life? Um, And this is a very basic approach when I mean God's will for you. But we're going to look in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, at what God's will for each of us is. So we'll start in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we can come together and look at your word and see what it has to say to us. We can see what your will is for our life. And God, I pray that you would convict each one of us and show each one of us what you are doing through this scripture and what you want to do in each of our lives. God, I pray that you will be with us this morning and that we can be convicted by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this passage, there's a few things we have to understand. I think the best way we can look at this is to break down the various parts of this story. So the first thing we see is a person. There's a person, and more specifically, there is a man named Zacchaeus. So let's talk about Zacchaeus. Uh, Here's what Scripture tells us about him. It doesn't tell us a lot about him, but it tells us a few things. It says he was a chief tax collector. And if you've read any of the Gospels, oftentimes when the Pharisees or people would talk about sinners, they would talk about sinners and tax collectors. It kind of lumped them together. But he was a chief tax collector. So that means he was viewed by his people as a traitor. So at this time, the Roman government has infiltrated, and they are are in control of all of the places that that Jesus is doing ministry, Um, but that means that they are being occupied by a foreign nation. And so anyone that is a tax collector, he's not a Jewish tax collector, he's not doing things for the Jewish people, he is operating on behalf of the Roman government. And so he's viewed as a traitor to his people because he's taking his people's money and giving it to what they see as an enemy government. And also presumed in most cases, whether he was guilty of it or not, of taking more than he had to. Oh, you owe, this person owes $100 in taxes, but I'm going to take $120 and put the $20 in my pocket. It must have been a common practice because that was how people viewed the tax collectors. He was someone that was, he was working with an an agent for an enemy government. We also see that he was rich. If the job was not enough, likely his wealth added to it, because how would he have gotten rich unless the government was treating him so nicely at the expense of his people, or if he was defrauding people and keeping it for himself? So he was a tax collector, and he was rich. The next thing, I don't know why they felt the need to point this out, but he was short. He was a small man. Now, here's the thing. I got to point this out to you, okay? Okay. Jesus, the people in Jesus' day were about five foot five, okay? So I'm not short, I'm just Christ-like, okay? Um, but, <laughs> I'm just, but that means Zacchaeus was probably under five feet tall, if they had to guess, for him to be short enough that in the crowds he could not see what was going on. He was a very short man, okay? Okay? It was actually a detail that was important to this story, okay? Because he could not see Jesus when he was coming to town. He's also regarded as a sinner. Now, this isn't explicitly stated about him necessarily from what the Bible describes of him, but of how people describe him. Because when they went to see with him, in verse 7 it says, and they, and they saw it and they all grumbled, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The people perceived him to be a sinner, And when they call someone else a sinner, it is from a place of self-righteousness. So they're looking down upon him, saying that he is worse in many ways than they think that he is. And so here's the most important detail we see about Zacchaeus. He is trying to see Jesus. Why? Why is Zacchaeus trying to see Jesus? So Jesus comes into Jericho, and Zacchaeus wants to see him. Had he heard about Jesus, about his ministry and the things he's doing? He wants to see what's happening, see what all the, the, the buzz is about. Was he hoping to see a miracle? To see what he'd heard that, that the, the, the lame can walk and the, and the blind can see? Is he wanting to see these things happen? Was he hoping to hear him teach how this one that he's heard is taught with authority? He wants to hear what he has to say? Or was he looking to gain something for himself? To see what Jesus could give to him? We don't really know why, but we know he was persistent because it says that he was trying to see Jesus, but couldn't. So I know in my mind growing up, I always thought about this idea that he just went and climbed up in a tree because he was short, but he was walking through the crowds trying to see Jesus, but was unable to. He was trying to get there, but was unable to instead of, but instead of cutting his losses and going home, I just couldn't see there was too many people in the way. He goes ahead where he knows Jesus is going, climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus I want you to think for a moment how often and how, easily, um, how easy it is for people to make excuses for why they don't engage with church or why they don't engage with their faith. Um, and now there are certainly reasons that we might miss church that are good reasons, and people miss church on occasion for, for reasons they wouldn't regularly miss church for. But I, I want to, to you to think for a moment about some of the common excuses, if they were applied to other things, how silly they would be. So here's an article that I found called 12 Reasons Why a Local Pastor Stopped Attending Sporting Events. First reason, every time that he went, they asked for money. Second reason, the people whom he had to sit with didn't seem very friendly. Number three, the the seats were very hard. Number four, the coach never came to call on me. Number five, the referee made a decision with which I could not agree. Number six, I was sitting with some hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Number seven, some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home. Number eight, the band played some songs I'd never heard before. Number nine, the games are scheduled when I want to do other things. Number 10, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Number 11, since I I read a book on sports, I feel like I know more than the coaches anyway. Number 12, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like the best. In our world, it can be very easy to find reasons to do things that are other than God-related things. We can chase after things, go after things other than going to see Jesus, and that's through worshiping as a body, but also through just the way we spend our time in our lives. I don't have time to do these things for God because I have these other things I need to do. And Zacchaeus had every reason to make an excuse. People didn't like him. No one wanted him to be there. They're probably He's not getting people getting out of his way. He can't see anything, but still he goes to see Jesus. And this is where we see this man, his interaction with the Savior. So we have a person and then we have the Savior. It's important to note that Jesus is the reason for every part of this story. He is the reason for every part of this interaction. The only reason that Zacchaeus can see Jesus is because Jesus first came into Jericho. Jesus came, and that is what prompts Zacchaeus to think about going. And when he passes by Zacchaeus, he expresses the interest. He expresses that he must come to Zacchaeus's house. I want you to think about that. When he says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That word that's used for must in this passage is the word that Jesus also talks about how he must do these things before the cross. How he must go, how he must, uh, how the, the Son of Man must be betrayed. These things are things that must happen in order for God's work to be fulfilled. There is a divine inter- intervention type of, of situation going on here with Zacchaeus' interaction with Jesus. And he says, I must come to your house today. Jesus is the, inner, is the reason for this interaction, not Zacchaeus. It's important to understand. Zacchaeus came to see him. He was there. He was interested. But Jesus initiates. Jesus explained at the end of this passage that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that's exactly what he's doing for Zacchaeus. He comes to town. He asks to stay at Zacchaeus' house. And, and note that makes everyone mad Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but when he goes, in to, do, he goes to do these things, the people are upset about it. I, I want you to realize that there are times within the church and throughout the church's history, the, the bigger universal church all across the world, where there have been people upset by the people who come to see Jesus. You know, talk about that, that example of they just want to go see what others are wearing. What, what happens if someone walks through our doors and, and they're not dressed in, in the right way? What happens if someone comes through and, and we know the past they've had? What happens when you interact with someone that has a bad history, that doesn't look the way you expect a Christian ought to look? We have to be careful not to fall into the temptation of those who are judging Zacchaeus. Because Jesus' intention is to seek and to save the lost. And so when we see people who are lost acting and behaving as though they are lost, we shouldn't be surprised. But the call and what we see that we ought to do is to engage with these people and bring them Jesus. So Jesus comes and he says, I must stay at your house today. And everybody's mad about it. But Jesus knows why he's there, to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was not the type of person that people thought Jesus should be hanging around with. Still, Jesus says he must stay at Zacchaeus' house. And this leads to Zacchaeus having his response. And and remember what Jesus says. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I want you to notice a few things about this. Jesus calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus. I want you to think about how important that is. Have you ever met someone that that knew your name before you knew who they were, it leaves an impression on you. I know that when I was deciding which college I was going to go to, the one that I kind of thought I was going to go to, I just didn't really have a very good visit. But the person that I was considering the other college, when the recruiter came to our school, and I went up and said, hey, my name is," I I I was wanting to talk to you about your school. You're Cole, aren't you? Someone had talked to them about me, and they remembered. They knew who I was. It left an impression on me. And so Jesus comes and says, Zacchaeus, now, how does he know him? Does he know his reputation? Or is this an example of his divine knowledge like we see with Nathaniel, and when he calls him? Regardless, he calls him by name and he says, hurry down, I must stay at your house today. And, and so what does Zacchaeus do? He hurries down. It says, verse six, For he, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And so when Jesus calls him to something, he does it. Hurry down. He hurries down. And he receives him to his home joyfully. I want you to, to, to consider, too, that many Christians have never responded to Jesus with the same level of excitement that they've responded to earthly things. Whatever it is, a sporting event, a concert, an activity, whatever it might be for you, whatever things excite you and get you the most excited, have you responded to Jesus in the same way you've responded to those things? That when your Savior has come and called your name, that he wants to have a relationship with you, are you excited by that? Do you respond to that? Or is it something that doesn't move you? But someone putting a ball through a hoop moves you more. Someone hitting a certain note moves you more. What is it that moves you and excites you? And so he receives Jesus, and at some point during this interaction, assuming it's at his house while they're together, Zacchaeus stands up and says, today I give away half of my goods to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to give him back four times what I took. So if he charged someone $100 too much, he's going to give them back $400. And what does Jesus say to this? Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And so the question that we could ask is, when did Zacchaeus get saved? When did salvation happen for Zacchaeus? And here's what D.L. Moody had to say about this. We have a, a good many conversation, a good many people who write and talk about sudden conversions. How, but how long did it take to convert Zacchaeus? When he went up the tree, nobody in Jericho would have told you he was a converted man. And yet he was a converted man when he came down, for he received the Lord joyfully. He must have been converted somewhere between the limb and the ground. You don't believe in these sudden conversions. You say they're not genuine. So he's talking about this idea of a sudden conversion, of people believing in an instant. Salvation happening in an instant. There were people that would would proclaim it has to take time. Now that's sanctification, growing in faith. But salvation, the decision to believe happens in an instant. Now, whether it was in the response of coming down the tree and receiving Jesus joyfully, or perhaps it's the conversation they had at the dinner table. What did they talk about? Obviously, it wasn't nothing. They talked about something, and it prompts Zacchaeus to give away basically everything he had. Because imagine if he did defraud people. Not only is he given half away to the poor immediately, he's paying back four times what he took. He is not counting his wealth as something that's going to get between him and God. But what we do know is that Zacchaeus was saved. How? How do we know this? Jesus says it for one, but but there's also evidence. He gave away half of his wealth to the poor. The things that define him as a sinner, that he was a a wealthy tax collector, he gives it all away. I don't think those poor people had a, a question about whether Zacchaeus' conversion was genuine. Because of his love that was expressed to them, I don't think the people that he defrauded any had that regard and disdain for any longer. Because they got four times back what was taken from them, his conversion was evident to the people that he interacted with. But we see here that the fullness of this story is not understood only in Zacchaeus's story. You have to look a few verses back into chapter 18 to understand fully Zacchaeus's story. And so we see the parallel. We see the parallel that happens in this process. So in Luke chapter 18, we see the story of the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and says, teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Follow them and you will have life. I've kept all these things since I was a boy. And we pick up in Luke 18... Eighteen through twenty-seven. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, "One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me." But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, "How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it easier it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle." then for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God those who heard it said then who can be saved but he said what is impossible with man is possible with God so here we see an example of these two stories that are a chapter apart a rich young man comes to Jesus says I want to have eternal life what must I do I've done all the things he hadn't He thought he had. He hadn't. That was what Jesus came to to, to show is that you haven't done enough to earn the righteousness. You aren't righteous in and of yourself. And do you know how Jesus points that out? That he wasn't following the commandments? Right? What what is one of the commandments? Have no other gods before me. Don't worship idols. I've done all these things. Okay. Sell all you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. I can't do that. If that is what God requires of me, I can't do that because I have a lot of money. I love my money more than I love obeying God. And what do we see? Idolatry. His money, his wealth has become an idol that he loves and worships rather than loving and worshiping God. Because if he kept that greatest commandment we see in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if he was keeping that, that would not have been an issue when he interacted with his Savior, because it was a literal, specific command to him. But it was not a command that because you have money, you have to sell it all. It was to show the idolatry in his heart. Well, if, if, if this is not possible, who can be saved? What is not possible with man is possible with God, is what Jesus says. And so what do we see? The very next chapter, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a wealthy tax collector. He didn't presume to be innocent in in regards to the law. He didn't presume people called him a sinner. And he was wealthy as well. So where the rich young ruler, maybe he had a a good reputation among people and was wealthy, this man had a bad reputation and was wealthy. Surely this man cannot be saved because it's hard for the wealthy to be saved, is is what Jesus had just said. And this is why Jesus comes, to show that with God, all things are possible. Even a man like Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector, can be saved, transformed. That the power of God is greater than anything that will stand in the way and keep people from believing in him. And so this is where you have to look at what your response in this situation is. What is your response? Because as we look at the Bible, a a habit that we can have, because it's a habit I think we do with most books that we read, is to place ourselves into the story. And there's times where with the Bible that's inappropriate. We are not, definitely we are not Jesus. And we are not in the Old Testament these specific characters. Though we can learn and see how God worked through them, we can see their obedience and learn about how we should be obedient like they were, how they relied on God's power and how we should rely on God's power as well in our life. But a person that we can pretty well line up with is Zacchaeus. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and what we have to realize about ourselves is that we are all, in and of ourselves, lost. Every person in this world, outside of what Christ has done for them, is separated from God because of their sin. And it doesn't, have, it doesn't matter. You, you may not, I, I'm short like Zacchaeus, but I'm not wealthy like Zacchaeus. I'm not a tax collector, so I don't line up perfectly. We don't meet all the dots, but the one thing we share in common is that we are lost people in need of a Savior. We're lost people in need of a Savior. And so when Jesus interacts with you, what is your response to Him? And so today we're, we're going through this, this series of what is God's will for me? And if you're here today and you've ever wondered or if you're wondering the question, that, that question in your life, what is God's will for me? What does God want me to do? It starts like being in a situation and realizing you're in a situation like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was looking for answers. He was looking for answers. And everyone in this world is looking for answers in something whether it's through their relationships, whether it's through their job, whether it's gaining more money, as likely Zacchaeus was pursuing beforehand. Well, I, you ever heard that idea of little man syndrome, right? That they have, to, they have to seek and make themselves bigger? Maybe that's what's happening. People made fun of him. They mocked him. And so he's like, I'll show them. I'm going to get really wealthy, and then they'll respect me. How'd that work out for him? Now they make fun of him for being short and a jerk, and so he, he, everything that's happened in his life, he comes to this place where he's heard about Jesus. Well, what is, what is this Jesus? What, what about this Jesus? I need to go see for myself. And I believe also by the draw of the Holy Spirit involved in the situation. He came looking for Jesus. And so today you sit and listen to a story about a man seeking Jesus and being found by Jesus. And so I want to ask you that if you're looking for meaning, you're looking for purpose, you're looking for answers, and you've come to see what God would have to say about it, I would tell you that Jesus' answer to you is the same answer he he gave to Zacchaeus. Let him dwell with you today. Jesus wants to dwell with you today because you are the lost. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are the lost that the Son of Man came to seek and save. Because Jesus has made a way for those who are far from God, because of their sin, to be brought near to him. Because of this, you can be forgiven. There is no sinner too far gone to be redeemed by Christ. And Zacchaeus is the example to the Jewish believers there of that, that even Zacchaeus can be changed. We do this through acknowledging our sinfulness, believing in what Christ has done, and confessing him as our Lord and Savior. And we do this Here's what we see, Ephesians 3.17. You ever heard someone talk about asking Jesus into your heart? Here's what we see, Ephesians 3.17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And so here's what we see that happens is Zacchaeus, is that through faith we see this transformation. In, In our lives we see a transformation that through faith Christ can dwell in our hearts. We can have a relationship with him. We can know him. We can be known by him. We can be changed by him. And so if you do not know Jesus today, if you are a person that came here or you've maybe been going to church your whole life and you're still looking for answers, you're still looking for what God wants you to do, God wants you to be saved. He wants you to have a relationship with him. And my prayer for you is that you would respond to him today. Not that you find him, but that he finds you. That though you are lost, you might be found. And here's where the challenge comes in to the majority of us, is we see what happens in Zacchaeus' life when he is saved. If you do know Christ today, if you profess to have a relationship with him, you understand, you've heard this story of of being lost but being found, and you know him, and you're like, I know Him. I'm excited by that. Do you receive Him joyfully like Zacchaeus did? Are you excited and in a hurry to do His will? Hurry and come down, Zacchaeus. Hurries down. Joyfully receives Him. Is there a joy in your life when it comes to your relationship with God? Or is it something that you do because you're afraid of the alternative? Because we see the motive thing here. If we're afraid of punishment only and that turns us to God, we, we've missed it, the beauty of a relationship with God and what it does in our life, what it does in our heart. Because a, an encounter with Christ, a genuine encounter with Christ will transform you to be something different. Right, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. We see that in Zacchaeus. This wealthy tax collector becomes a generous follower of Christ. We see this in Peter. The one who denied Jesus becomes one that died for Jesus. We see Paul, the one who was a persecuting Pharisee, became one of the ones who was persecuted for the faith. Those who follow Christ have a transformation that happens in their life. And it's going to look different for each and every one of us The person who is greedy becomes generous. The person who is selfish becomes selfless. The one who is concerned about this life becomes concerned with the next life and following God's eternal kingdom. So what is it that God has done in your life? What evidence can you and others point to in your life that would say, this is my evidence that God has transformed me and changed me? Because that is your testimony. When Zacchaeus speaks of this encounter, Jesus came, he knew me by name, and I was such a sinner, I was so greedy, but now because of what he's done for me, I can follow him and I'm generous. What is your testimony? Because if your testimony is that you came to church, you heard someone talk about coming down and praying a prayer, and then nothing changed, that's concerning. That's concerning. There should be transformation in our lives. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you are perfect does not mean you do not ever get it wrong, but there should be transformation in our lives because of what Jesus has done for us and excitement about what he's done. And so the call today is to look at our lives and maybe realize there's places where you know what you should be doing as a believer and you just haven't been obedient. Jesus told you to come down from the tree, but you're still up there. Well, how's he going to have you do anything else if you don't come down? He can't come stay at your house, Zacchaeus, if you don't come down from the tree. But there are situations where you look and you realize, maybe I never knew him. And so part of what we're looking at with God's will for our life is making sure we have a relationship with him. Because when we get into some of the specifics, it doesn't matter if you understand how God wants you to do those things if you don't know him first. And so, my call to you today is if you came here and you sit here and you know that you don't have a relationship with Him, you know that you don't have a relationship with God, that you've, you've heard about Him, you know about Him, but you've never been saved, you've never responded to what He's called you to do, to, to acknowledge your sin, to believe in Him, and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. I would challenge you get out of that tree. Through faith, let God dwell in your heart, let Christ dwell in your heart. Be rooted and grounded in love. And if you do know him, let that evidence be so clear in your life. Let it be clear to yourself. Let it be clear to those around you that everyone that can say, I don't know what got into them, but it's clear God got a hold of them. So whatever that is in your life, if you've made a decision to follow, but you've never followed in obedience, you've never followed through in baptism, Maybe you need to join a church, be a part of a body of believers. Maybe you have a specific thing in your life you know you ought to do. Be obedient to Him today. Because God's will for you is if you're lost and you hear that you would believe. It starts there. You don't need to be concerned about anything else that God is concerned with in your life until you know Him and have been saved by Him. And then God's will is that you will actually follow him and be obedient and we'll look at the specifics of that in future weeks but wherever god is calling you today i pray that you would move let's go to the lord in prayer father we thank you for this day that you've given us this time that we can come together and look at your word and god i pray that we would take an example from zacchaeus one who was lost one who was far from you but you called his name and he responded And God, through Jesus, we all have access to salvation if we will believe and repent of our sins. And God, I pray that if there is anyone who does not know you, who has not taken that step, that today would be the day they would respond to the salvation you offer in Christ. And Father, I pray that for those of us who do know you, Lord, that we would have evidence in our life that is so clear. that we would know and be able to point to and show the transformation, the work that you have done within us, and that Christ would dwell within our hearts richly because of faith. pray that you would be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.